Hey, thanks so much for checking out Crossview Church Sermons and listening to this podcast. Every week you can expect a message that strengthens your faith and encourages you in your walk with God. You're about to hear a message from our lead pastor, Chris Dirksen. All right, so we started a series last week on Revelation, and one of the things I want to do in every sermon of this series is I want to start off with four statements, and we're going to do this in every one of the rest of the sermons in this series, because I really want Revelation to get more simple, um, and I want us to have more confidence. And so I want to start off with four uh, uh, statements that all Christians, and this is really important because there's lots of confusion about Revelation, obviously. There's lots of uh, disagreement about Revelation. And in all of the disagreement and confusion, we can lose the fact that actually there's, you know, four pillars that for sure Christians past, present, now, not doesn't matter what denomination you're in, can all agree on. And here are four of them. Well, there's two here and they'll go to the next screen. That all Christians, that we can be absolutely confident about. One is that Revelation declares that Jesus is Lord. And uh, we'll do that in one of these sermons and that will be very fun because Revelation does this in some powerful ways when we see it in its original context. Number two, Revelation promises that Jesus is coming to set up his kingdom on earth. And that's, that is, that's, the, that's the root, that's the goal of our hope. We know that someday um, he's going to wipe away every tear, right? He's going to wipe away every tear and we're going to live forever with him here on the earth. That's going to be amazing. Three and four, these are things we can be absolutely confident with all the, you know, disagreements about Revelation. These are things all Christians can agree upon. Number three, Revelation proclaims that all the wicked kingdoms of this earth will be judged. Okay? Everybody agrees about that. And we have seen that happening already throughout history. And the Roman Empire that oppressed Christians in the day of Revelation has already been judged as well. And so we have confidence that these things will all come true. And number four... We can be absolutely confident that in Revelation, Revelation encourages us to be faithful to Jesus. And Revelation does this in some very creative ways that just bring that call alive and to persevere and not compromise, okay? Hugely important. Now, about everything else in Revelation, Christians pretty much disagree about absolutely everything. And these are the four things that at the end of this series, though, we want you to remember. These are the four things we can count on. These are the four things for which Revelation was written to give us hope and to give us confidence. Now, everything else Christians disagree with. Is Revelation meant to tell us about the news today in 2022? Is Revelation meant to, you know, uh, is Revelation meant to be a code from which we as Christians can figure out when Jesus is returning, okay? These are things Christians disagree about. Is Revelation something that is supposed to give a, make us more fearful, or is Revelation supposed to be something that is more hopeful? And how do we practically apply Revelation to our lives? These are things that Christians disagree about, but these four pillars we can all agree about, and we're going to keep coming back to these over and over and over again throughout this series, and I hope that these are just absolutely ground into your hearts and minds by the end of the series. And that they come more alive. Now, in the meantime, I want us to step back a little bit, though. And I believe that some of what has happened with Revelation 
is that, in fact, Revelation has had the opposite effect on us that John, the writer, and the Holy Spirit who is inspiring him uh, intended for it to have. And it has caused us as Christians to spend a lot of time trying to decode symbols and attach them to things that are going on in our news feeds. And when this happens, this can create more fear and nervousness and anxiety than it does hope. And some of that is rooted in a passage, Matthew 24, where we're going to go, we're going to do a little rabbit trail at the beginning of this sermon. We'll go to Matthew 24. I want to look at some things. And then we're going to come back to Revelation. And I'm going to show you at the end of this message how Revelation ties together so beautifully, even with the Sermon on the Mount. It's really beautiful. So, but let's start in Matthew 24, because Matthew 24 is one of those passages that for a lot of Christians, that's their launching pad for the book of Revelation and how they want to use the book of Revelation. So let's go over to Matthew 24, and uh, here we see this in verse 32 of Matthew 24. Jesus says this, now learn this lesson from the fig tree. As soon as its twigs get tender and its leaves come out, you know that summer is near. Can you not hardly wait for summer, by the way? Oh, as a Manitoban, I feel abused this year, okay? So learn a lesson from the fig tree. As soon as it's leaves, you're going to know that it's near, okay? And as Christians, many of us have said, see, we're supposed to know when the buds come out, when the news feed gives me the right events, then I'm going to know that Jesus' return is near, Okay? Let's keep going. Verse 33. Even so, when you see all these things, you know that it is near right at the door. Truly, I tell you, this generation, this generation, right, which every generation of Christians for the last 2,000 years has had a group of Christians that said, this generation is our generation. This generation will certainly not pass away until all these things have happened. Now, this passage here seems to make it very clear, and based on this passage, that we can jump into Revelation, we can apply apply Revelation to our news, and every author does it a little differently, and every Christian teacher does it a little differently, and this means that, and this means that, and you apply it, and it's like, oh, Jesus is just about to come back. But then a very fascinating thing happens right after this passage. And this is one of the things I love about Jesus. He never ceases to shock and amaze, and even confuse. So right after he gives us this great analogy, just look for the buds and you will know that the time is near, he goes on in very Jesus-like fashion to say, but about that day or hour, no one knows. So he seems to be saying quite the opposite thing here. Not even the angels in heaven. And then now here he says something that I'm almost afraid to read out loud in church. Nor the Son... What? Like, I don't even want to preach too far into the details of that because I'm going to get into blasphemy, I'm afraid. Like, what? Nor the Son. If Jesus hadn't said this, I would not say it. Jesus doesn't know when he's coming back, but only the Father. The Son, how does that work? Jesus is God. Jesus doesn't know? That's interesting. Then he goes on, as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. So he's talking about his return, and somehow, whatever that means, he does not know when he's returning. That's somehow beyond me. It just blows my mind. For in the days before the flood, people were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage 
Up to the day, they have no clue. Up to the day, the whole point of this passage is suddenness. Suddenness. Up to the day, Noah entered the ark and they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them all away. What on earth, Jesus, are you doing? On the one hand, we should just be able to look for the buds coming out, right? On the other hand, you can't know. People will be eating and drinking and marrying and all of that sort of stuff. And then suddenly, it will happen in a very unexpected way. Now Jesus is going to make a very practical application because of this. So because it's sudden, look what his application is, and this is for all of us. Because it will be sudden and unexpected, no, why? This uh, commercial break is brought to you by Ben Q. That's what this uh, device name is. Okay, open your Bible on your phone. I'm going to go on my uh, Bible here. Matthew 24. I had this like great practical application. And the Lord laughs. Matthew 24, verse 42. So you can follow on your phones. Or you can follow however you want to do that. But Matthew 24, verse 42 says this. So that here's the practical application because it's going to be sudden. Therefore, stay awake, for you do not know on what... Oh, and I'm reading an ESV. I had an NFV in there. But anyway, therefore, stay awake, for you do not know on what... Oh, look at this, look at this, look at this. In the name of Jesus. Hey! That wasn't the verse I expected. Never mind. Leave it. I got it. I forgot a verse. That's how it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. Two will come. One will be. Okay, let's move. Therefore, here's the practical application. Keep watch. Why? Because. Because, because, because. Therefore, keep watch. Because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. Matthew's whole point here, Jesus in Matthew is saying... It is important that you understand that this is so unknowable that somehow, whatever that means, Jesus himself does not know when he's returning. I don't understand it. I kind of shudder at it, but that's, it's that unknowable somehow, whatever that means. And as a result of the fact that it's that unknowable, all Christians, he's speaking to his disciples, curse you. <laughs> I wonder if the cursing the fig tree thing would work right now. I curse you when it withers. But anyway... Um, it is somehow that unknowable that all Christians, right from the ones he's speaking to the disciples, okay, right from you guys, because you do not know, therefore watch. Every Christian in every Christian generation from the time of Jesus till now has supposed, and we at this moment are meant to be watching for Jesus' return. Why? Because we do not know when he is returning. Now that is very important, okay? Now you say, okay, well, this seems like, uh, this seems like a total um, contradiction. So we have watch, because it's like the buds on a fig tree, 
And when the buds come out, you know that you're going to get figs. But then on the other hand, you should watch always because you have no idea when he's coming and it could happen at any moment. This seems like a contradiction. And as a result, we need to go back to the beginning and we need to ask the question, what question is Jesus answering and why are we seemingly getting two contradictory answers? So if we go back to the beginning, Matthew 24, verse 1. Jesus left the temple and was walking away when his disciples came up to him to call his attention to its buildings. Now this is just a classic guy thing to do, right? I am not into really architecture or anything, but I am fascinated by tall buildings. The taller, the better. I love it, okay? Is anybody out there like me? Like I just, they can be the ugliest buildings anywhere, but if they're just tall, they're cool to me, okay? And a lot of his disciples, they're hanging out at the temple. You have to remember that the temple in Jesus' day is one of the wonders of the world, okay? It is one of the wonders of the world at the time. This is not Solomon's temple. That one had been destroyed a few centuries before. Now Herod has rebuilt it. It is amazing. I've been in Israel a couple of times. And the last time I was there, we went on this tour where we went down into these tunnels along the base of what would have been the foundation of the temple. And they have stones in there that in Herod's day, it took them 46 years to build this temple. They have stones in there that are 160,000 pounds. That's a lot of pounds. That would be challenging for modern equipment to move. That's how big they are. Some of them are 24 feet long. They're huge. How they exactly did it, we're not totally sure. They were really brilliant and creative engineers. So they built this temple. Some of the stones are 160,000 pounds. It's just absolutely unbelievable. It's one of the wonders of the world. And it's a source of immense national pride. Immense national pride. Kind of like, you know, sometimes when the Canadian... Uh, when our best players actually get to play in the Olympics and we get this sense of immense national pride in our hockey, uh, at a much greater level, the Jews had this with their temple. And so they come out of this temple and the disciples are pointing out to Jesus, look at this building, it's absolutely amazing, it's incredible, look at the size, look at the beauty, look at the architecture. And again, Jesus does exactly what we don't expect him to do and he says this, you see all these things. He asked, truly I tell you, not one stone here will be left on another. Every one will be thrown down. Like a punch in the gut. That's a downer. Look at this amazing building. Can you imagine that? Look at this amazing building, Jesus. And he's like, you see that? Every stone is coming down. Now, again, we've read this a hundred times. We're living 2,000 years later. We've got 2,000 years of historical baggage so we know he's going to say this, but he said, of course the temple's coming down. Okay, you have to remember from the disciples' perspective, they still don't get that Jesus has to die. They're like us. They're really hard-headed. Okay? He's been telling them, guys, I got to die, and it's going right over their heads. Because remember, the Jewish people are not expecting the Messiah to come and die. He's coming to set up his kingdom. So they're not... So when he says all of it's going to get torn down, they're you're the Messiah, you're here, Aren't, isn't this the salvation of our nation? Like, what, what are you talking about? It's coming down. You're here. Like, by the way, when are you going to set up your kingdom? Like, what's going on here? And Jesus says, actually, it's all going to come down every stone. They're so shocked. I love this about them. They are so shocked 
that they don't even ask him the question right in the moment. I can just see them all. I, I want to see the movie when we're in heaven. They go off and they're all whispering and grumbling. What in the world is he talking about? So they come back to him later. As Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives, I can see them you know, pushing Peter. That's how I imagine it, right? He's kind of the, kind of the stupid one. He'll, he'll, he'll put his foot in his mouth, right? Pushing him. You go ask. No, no, you go ask. You go ask. As Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately. Tell us, they said, when will this happen? What is this? The temple coming down. That's their question, isn't it? When will this happen? He just shocked them. The temple's coming down. It's going to be destroyed. What? When will this happen? Now, they also tie on a couple of things at the end of this question, which we see as being two separate questions. The disciples did not have a concept of two separate comings. They think they're asking one question. When will this happen and what will be the sign of your coming at the end of the age? So they're having to work through their end times theology. Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. The temple's coming down. Well, that's all got to be tied. I guess he's going to take the temple down. Why? I don't know. But all of that, I guess that's the sign of when the kingdom, okay. So they ask him a question. When will this happen and what will be the sign of your coming at the end of the age? Now, we, with 2,000 years of historical baggage, now know that this happened, the temple came down, 70 AD, we'll come to that in just a couple minutes, and we know that this has not happened yet, that Jesus has not come back. But they are asking a question. Now, Jesus is going to answer this, okay, but he's not going to answer them this question in the way we wish he would. We would like Jesus to give very clear answers. By the way, he was a gifted teacher, he was an amazing teacher. If he wanted to give them a clear answer, he definitely could have. He could have said, whoa, 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 you asked one question, you, you, but there's two answers. There's actually two questions. The answer is 70 AD is when the temple's going to come down, guys, and 2023 is when I'm coming back. Oh, this is awesome. But he doesn't do that. He answers it in such a way that we can argue about it for 2,000 years. What on earth did he mean? Why would Jesus not just answer it super clearly? Let me tell you a couple reasons. Reason number one, God doesn't want us to know when Jesus is coming back. Remember in this same chapter, Jesus says, not even the Son knows. And we all go, one of the, I want one of those gifs where the mind goes, Poof. God doesn't want us to know when he's coming back. That's what he's just going to say now in answer to this question. Number two, Jesus is going to answer these questions, which they think is one question. He's going to answer it in the same way that all the prophets and all of Scripture answered things. There's a continuity here. The prophets of the Old Testament, Jesus' prophecy in Matthew 24, and the book of Revelation all do something the same way. They put a near and a far, put them back to back. So Jesus is going to tell them the answer to this question, and then he's going to do the same thing that all the Old Testament prophets did and that John will do in Revelation, and he's going to attach his return right to the end of it, and you won't see a gap in between the two things. 
Again, you want to go through, we could do a whole seminar in here in the Old Testament prophets. They all did the same thing. Here's what the Old Testament prophets would do. They would say, judgment is coming on our generation, either to Babylon or to us or to Syria or to Egypt. Judgment is coming. And then often at the end, they would tie in this thing. And then the mountain of the Lord will be the biggest of all the mountains. And there will be peace on the earth. And the sword will get beaten into a plowshare. And you would think, oh, that's going to happen right after this judgment. But we now know with two, 3,000 years of history that those things are separated by a long chunk of time. So Jesus is going to answer them. All right? So now we can see how Jesus' answers, which seem contradictory, make perfect sense for Jesus and for not telling us when he's coming back. Question one, when will this happen? When will the temple be destroyed? Well, verse 32, learn this lesson from the fig tree. As soon as its twigs get tender and its leaves come out, you know that summer is near. He's going to give them a whole bunch of signs. He's going to give them a whole bunch of signs. Verse 33, even so, when you see all these things, you know that it is near right at the door. Truly, I tell you, this generation. What generation? The people he's talking to. By the way, this is one of the most spectacularly accurate prophecies in Scripture. Did you know that? Because Jesus called it. He called the temple coming down somewhere in the late 20s A.D. or the early 30s A.D. And do you know when the temple came down? Pretty much exactly 40 years later in 70 AD, the Roman armies surrounded Jerusalem. First, they laid siege to it, wouldn't let any food in, starved thousands of the residents. It was so bad that some of the historians at that time, they talk about it as a time when people wished they were dead. By the way, that kind of prophecy comes out in several places in the Gospels. This idea of people wishing they were dead. This horrible, horrible time. And then when the Romans finally broke down after a few months of siege, they finally broke down the walls. They went on a rampage in the city. They put thousands of Jews up on crosses and lined the highways in and out of the city with them. And then they ripped the temple down and destroyed it. Absolutely desecrated it. That was in 70 AD. A generation in the Bible is generally understood to be somewhere around 40 years. Jesus said, truly I tell you, this generation... When will this happen? This generation will see this happen. Now, why would Jesus want to give signs for this terrible event? He wanted to give us confidence in his prophetic. But he also wanted to give a warning to his people because he loves, he loves the Jewish people. He came to Israel. As soon as you understand this, Matthew 24 comes alive. Because I want you to see how specific so much of this prophecy is to Jerusalem. So when you see standing in the holy place the abomination that causes desolation spoken of through the prophet Daniel, let the reader understand that those who are in Judea. Now, here's the thing what we do with 2,000 years of historical baggage. We always tend to read the Bible like it was written to me in Canada today. And again, it's for us. The Holy Spirit applies it to our lives today, but we're reading someone else's mail. So for those who are in Judea, notice a lot of Christians read Matthew 24 and they're like, oh, there's going to be this terrible thing and then we're all going to run to the mountains. First of all, we got a problem in Steinbach when that happens. <laughs> 10,000 of us trying to cower on the far side of Abe's Hill. <laughs> Someone poking their head above the top, they're coming. Either that or we got a long run to the Rocky Mountains. So 
No, this isn't, he doesn't say everybody, when this happens, everybody in Canada and Australia and Africa, you better run for the hills. No, no, very specifically, those who are in Judea, that's just the hill country right around Jerusalem. He's given them a warning. Flee to the mountains when this happens. Let no one on the housetop. This is a warning. Go down to take anything out of the house. Like when this happens, when the Romans came, it was awful. It was horrific. Let no one in the field go back to get their cloak. How dreadful it will be in those days for pregnant women and nursing mothers. Pray that your flight will not take place in winter or on the Sabbath. And again, this doesn't make sense when people read it today as if this is meant to be giving us instructions for something that's going to happen in the world. And then, well, why would it matter if this happens on a, on a Sabbath? Which for us, we would interpret as a Sunday. He's not talking about a Sunday, he's talking about a Saturday. And then we go, well, why would it matter if this happened on a Saturday? We, everything, we, we can do stuff on Saturday. We can get to the grocery store and get our emergency supplies. Why does it matter? Now, winter, that makes sense. <laughs> oh, pray to God. But why does it matter if it happens? Because he's speaking to them who are listening to him. He's seeing ahead this generation, 40 years from now, the temple is coming down and the Romans are going to do awful things. If it happens on a Sabbath, you're going to have more people stuck in that temple and more people stuck within that walls. If it happens on one of those Sabbaths or one of those feasts, it's going to be harder to get away. He loves these people and he's answering their question about the temple. So, then he flips though in verse 36, and he says, but the coming of the Son of Man, no one knows, not even the Son. Two answers, one question that they didn't know should be two questions. Now this brings us back to Revelation, because this is a series about Revelation. If nobody, oh, I missed the verse. I'm giving myself a C- minus for my uh, toy use tonight. If nobody can know the day or hour, which Jesus explicitly says about his, the time of his return, if nobody can know the day or hour, not even Jesus himself, and I add question marks, I know a whole bunch of people are going to go out of here today, Chris doesn't believe Jesus knows everything, then Revelation can't be a code that helps us figure out when Jesus is about to return. If the Son doesn't know, whatever that means. I'm pretty sure no matter how much work I do, I'm not going to be able to figure out. If the sun doesn't know whatever that means, I'm pretty sure nobody on the internet has it figured out either. If nobody can know the day or hour of Jesus' return, and because of that we're all supposed to be watching, then that also means revelation isn't a code we're meant to break that we're somehow supposed to mix it with today's news and figure it out. And by the way, in every generation since Christ for 2,000 years, in every generation there's been groups of well-meaning, God-loving, Jesus-loving Christians who have thought they were the generation when he would return, who attached the symbols to stuff in the news in their day, and so far they've all been wrong. Someday one of these generations will be right. But the fact of the matter is, we can't have any confidence now that we've gotten it right suddenly when 2,000 years of Christians have gotten it wrong. Which brings us back to what is the point of Revelation, which is our four pillars we talked about before. 
in this idea that Revelation is just like all the rest of the prophetic books. It's just like Matthew 24. It's just like the Old Testament prophets. It gives us soon and future stuck together. It gives us soon judgment in that generation, and it gives us future. One day Jesus' kingdom will come to earth. Now we know there's a gap between these two things. Which is why the revelation starts off, the revelation from Jesus Christ, which God gave to him to show his servants what must soon take place. And he prophesies the judgment of the kingdoms in their day. Now from that we take, we can have confidence, if Jesus was right about the temple being destroyed in that generation, if revelation was right about the Roman Empire being utterly destroyed, and it's not an empire today, then we can be confident that someday He's also going to be right that his kingdom is going to come to earth and there'll be no more dying or sickness or pain anymore. Amen. So we can apply the principles, but we don't need to try to take the symbols and put them to the news. Now, let's tie this all together and close this off. Why is this important in terms of our application? If you are a runner, okay, and some of you are going, why would I ever do that to myself? I had someone who was, saw me running one day and he said, the only time I'm running is when I'm running from something. Oh, that's very interesting. But if you're a runner, right, it's really important if you're going to run a race that you know how long that race is. So if there, because there's a huge difference. The way you run a hundred meter sprint, totally different than the way you run a marathon. Is that not true? So uh, some of you are going, I never ran a 100-meter sprint, never ran a marathon. Okay, the way you walk them is different too. But a 100-meter sprint, you're going with everything. You're, you're pumping the legs. You're, you know, you might pull a muscle. You're going with all your might to finish that 100 meters as fast as you can. If you try to run a marathon like you would a 100-meter sprint, I'll tell you right now, this is not just an opinion. This is a fact. You will die. <laughs> you will not finish the race because you cannot run a marathon like a 100-meter sprint. Say, what on earth does that have to do with Revelation and what we're talking about? Here's what it has to do. When people get consumed, and it's so easy to do this, with what we can't be sure of, there's things in Revelation we can be sure of. Jesus is Lord Jesus is coming back, persevere, the kingdoms of this earth will pass away, those four pillars, 100% confidence. But when we try to get confidence, trying to figure out, is Jesus coming back and like in our day, and is it close, and Russia is this, and this in the news is that, and every interpreter has a different interpretation, and then the symbols can be applied to a thousand different things in the news, and nobody comes up with the same thing twice. And when people get caught up in that rabbit trail and you're trying to take whoop, whoop, Paul and Jesus is about to come back, you know what happens? Anxiety and worry start to go up. Urgency starts to go up. It's just about here, it's just about here, it's just about here. And people start to sprint. By the way, urgency is not a bad thing to feel in the Christian life from time to time. Urgency is no way to live your whole life. Just like running a marathon, the way you sprint is no way to run a marathon. Urgency is something you should feel at appropriate times from time to time. Jesus nowhere says, feel urgency your whole life. He does say, 
love God and love people. Here's the thing. Life is not a 100-meter sprint. It is a marathon. And if you approach it like a sprint, you are not going to reflect the glory of Jesus the way he wants you to on this earth. Do you know what it means to reflect the glory of Jesus? You are not a spiritual machine that can just sprint. Jesus is about to come back and I'm like, I'm going. You actually can't live that way. Neither does it glorify God. You know what it means to glorify God? Live fully human in the way he made you to be. You know what that means? Rest, Sabbath, love your community, love the people around you, love your family, love the people you work with. Have space in your life for peace when the whole world is going crazy. Do you have space in your life for peace? When we get all ramped up, we do the opposite of what Revelation is meant to do in our lives. And that brings me to the connection between Revelation and the Sermon on the Mount. Our reading of Revelation should not contradict the Sermon on the Mount, should it? Here's what the Sermon on the Mount says. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life. Now, don't condemn yourself if you do worry. Give yourself some grace. Take this not as Jesus is mad at you for worrying. Take this as Jesus' permission. Please don't worry. You're getting all worked up. Oh, this is that. This is that. By the way, man, how many of you married people have even figured out your spouse? Anyone want to put their hand up and say, I figured it out? Oh, there's a hand back there. Wow. Anson's got his wife figured out. How many of you figured out, if you have kids, how many of you figured out your kids? How many of you have figured out your own self? Okay, let me ask you something. If you can't figure out your own self, if you can't figure out your spouse, if you can't figure out your kids, how on earth do you think you're going to figure out what's happening in the world with God's grand plan? How on earth do you think, watch this video, I go on this link, I watch this news feed, and now I know what God is doing in the nations, and I know what Satan's doing, and I know all his big plans. You know what? <laughs> Not a chance. Do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Anything more than that is above my pay grade and your pay grade. Skip ahead here. Therefore, oh, this is beautiful. This is beautiful. This is from Jesus. You can be 100% confident this is a good idea. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow. Why? Because tomorrow's above your pay grade. When's Jesus coming back? Way above your pay grade. Do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Many of us are standing on a foundation of trying to know things we can't know, don't need to know, and shouldn't worry about. There's lots of terrible things happening in the world. But none of us knows what will even happen tomorrow. We should have compassion for people who are hurting and lost. But we should not worry about what's going to happen and what this will mean and what that will mean and this will come and drawing all these things together. That's not for us to know. I'm going to pray that for you. But some of you need to nerd out on some commentaries. 
Because you're like, I want to know more about this Matthew 24 stuff. Like, what, what do these passages actually mean? So let me just, some of you just need to nerd out. Some of you are like, I don't care. I'm, I'm good. Don't worry. I've got it. But if you want to nerd out a bit more and you want to learn more a bit about Matthew 24 and you want to learn more about Matthew in general in the Bible, it's always a good idea to have a commentary. Here's some of the, the best ones. N.T. Wright, Matthew for everyone, is awesome. It's also cheap, I think. RT France is much thicker and less cheap. This is for the real nerding out. Like that is like, I love you if you like this. But you buy that one, you go through some of this stuff, and it'll actually help you sift through 2,000 years of some of the historical baggage that we come to the text with, and then come up with all kinds of things. Next week, and now I'm going to pray for you, Next week's sermon, we're going to talk about, Chris Sloan, my friend, is going to talk about how to read and understand Revelation's apocalyptic style. And I think you're going to come to love Revelation even more because it's so beautiful when you understand what Revelation is doing. But why don't you bow your heads with me and close your eyes. Oh, man. Father, first of all, we want to have grace for each other and grace for ourselves. The world is full of worry right now. And unfortunately, so many of us as Christians are going along with the world in its worry. Father, the world needs to see a group of people who are different than they are, who are not worried. Help us to let go of the newsfeed cycle of anxiety and embrace your teaching, which is 2,000 years old. Do not worry about tomorrow, Jesus says to us, his sheep. For tomorrow's trouble will already take care of itself, and we can trust in the Father above. We don't have to stress ourselves about figuring out timing of things and God's grand plan for the universe and what this means and what that means. It's all above our pay grade. We can actually be set free to love Jesus and love each other. We're in a marathon and we want to run in a rested, joyful, generous, fearless way to the end of our race. Lord Jesus, even so, come quickly. Amen. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast today and being part of what God is doing here at Crossview. A special thanks to those that are giving generously to this ministry. It's because of you this ministry is possible. If you enjoyed the sermon, why don't you subscribe to the platform you're listening to right now and let us know that you're listening by sharing and tagging us on social media. If you want to learn more about this ministry in our church, you can visit us at crossviewchurch.ca.